You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you. Were you uh, shaking my hand or were you just trying to help me up? <laughs> just checking. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Welcome. This is a great day to really come together. I want to thank you for being here and for those that are online. Uh, this is a great time to come and and uh, and really worship the Lord and find out what God's speaking to our hearts. What's he saying to you today? Because I know he's always he's always whispering. He's always talking to us and we want to listen to hear what God is up to and how he uh, how he touches our lives. You know, one of the things that I'm always thankful for when I come to this place is uh, the number of teams that it really takes to pull off uh, a weekend or the course of the week, the different things that go on, the activities that we're part of. And I'm thankful for that. You see a lot of those teams. A lot of those teams are visible to you, our worship team, our hospitality team. But there are also some teams that you don't see that are just as active, making things happen. And that's really our maintenance and our hospitality. And I don't say this enough. I, I really need to say this more. I thank the Lord for them. I really do because they prepare this place for, for you to be here. I mean, they prepare this place for us to just come and worship the Lord. And so I thought it'd be good if you saw their names and that you know who they are and that you applaud for them. I love these folks. I like these folks. I, I, I really do. I want to thank these people. Actually, the guy who who helped me put the list together is not on the list. It's Mike Gill. And so we want to put Mike on that list as well because Mike really makes everything happen. He coordinates. And so you see those folks up there. And so if you see any of those folks and, and, and you see them even around between services, would you say thank you? Just, just say thank you. Juana Gonzalez is here a lot. And she cleans up after us and then makes the next service really run well. Uh, Juana is one of my favorite people on the planet. So say thank you, and if you can do it 10 times, do it 10 times, because uh, she is a blessing. The gentlemen that you see under Juana's name are our Monday guys. They come here on Monday, so they're here tomorrow, and they just make this campus look good. And so they come, they volunteer, they are experts at really the whole hospitality, making things look good. So thank them again. Would you just, another applause, I think they deserve that. They're great people. They really are. Man, they are really good. I want to do this this morning. I want to pray, and I have a particular direction I want us to pray. I want us to pray for our, our new believers, the new believers in this church family. Uh, just have recently come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I have a, a Bible study every Wednesday with a, a, number, a few new believers in Jesus, and I, I just love to see and hear what God is up to. Um, uh, I have a believer that I meet with, a young new believer who's four months old in the Lord, and then I have another guy that I sit next to, and we, we do life together. He's four weeks in the, in the Lord, so the four-month-old leads the four-week-old in a devotion, and to see God working in people's lives, and to see the Holy Spirit alive in people's lives. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the need we have to make sure that the gospel is clean and clear and there are no attachments to it. Jesus stands for what Jesus stands for. And that we always bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, lives are changed in Jesus' name. Do you believe that? I do. I, I believe that with all my heart. So let's pray that way. Father, today, 
uh, we come together collectively and we pray for those new believers that are part of our community here, for those that we saw water baptized, for those that have come to faith in you, that there would be just a growth and a fruitfulness that would come from their life. And Lord, that we would continually bring the message of Jesus Christ in a clear, clean way through our lifestyle, through the words we say. Lord, we just ask that you would do a good work in Jesus' name. And we say together, amen. Well, this morning I want you to look up the overheads because I have a few things I want to show you. Today is entitled Just Restore uh, and how God really works at restoring our lives. So the first thing that I want you to see is a restored 1956 Chevy Bel Air. Look at that right there. Isn't that cool? All you folks that collect cars or restore cars. That is actually a replica of the first family car I remember my dad having. And so at that time, there were three boys. You can see the little shelf up there. When we would go at night, we would drive. We would have one up by the window, one on the seat, and one on the floor. Doesn't work today. Cannot do that. Cannot do that. But that was what we used to do, and we would drive in that Chevy Bel Air. Then there is a 1966 restored uh, El Camino. Uh, that is a beautiful car. I drove that car. Um, my boss let me drive the car because I think he wanted me to date his daughter. And so I got to drive that car. Three, 396 engine in it, had a speed shift, all of those things. Pretty cool. I mean, these cars are restored to premium. So we have a, a Bel Air restored. We, we have a El Camino restored. And then we have a real classic, and that is a 1956 restored human being. And that is me. And I'm so thankful for that. I am thankful that God has restored me. I'm thankful that God has restored you as well. Listen, there's nothing better than to live a restored life. And in fact, oftentimes, restored is better than new. And, and that's the way God looks at our lives right now, that, that he has this desire, this, this heart to restore us. And there's something beautiful about seeing things that were broken, that were wrecked, that were worn, restored. To think about where they were, to think about the, the stories they probably could tell. Uh, at one time, it was a marginalized. It was put on the sidelines or the shelves. Something, something that was of no use before is now being used. Being used, in our case, as restored human beings to the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and, and if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever gone through a, a restoration in your own life, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? The word restore. When you think about the implications, when you think about what it means, one of our greatest fears in life, however, is fear. It's the fear of failure. Whenever failure is possible, wherever that is, there's always a level of anxiety, isn't there? Uh, the anxiety we might have, for instance, taking an exam, uh, the, the level of anxiety during a job interview or that you've been asked to give a speech. There's just levels of anxiety that we live with because the prospect of failure might seem great. Failure is and has always been, all of us, has been pretty much part of our life. Because when you think back, how did you learn how to walk? Well, you walk by trial and error. Uh, how did you learn how to ride a bike? The same way. How do you learn how to hit a baseball? The same way. You just keep trying and trying and trying. You see, our spiritual life isn't much different than that. That there are times that we just feel on top of the world. And then there are other times we just feel like we're just flat on our face. Life has beat us up. We feel like we are worn and we're wrecked and that there is no use that God can gain out of our lives. But we know this. 
because we serve an eternal Jesus, one who cares for us, he'll always, always pick us up. Now, I think most of us have also experienced uh, letting people down where we've disappointed people. Maybe the people we've disappointed is our spouse, a boss, a friend. How does that make you feel? I mean, that's one of the worst feelings I think I know that I can have, and I'm sure you might feel the same way. You feel broken inside. Well, that's who we're going to look at today. We're going to look at someone who is broken inside because of their failure, and that is Peter. Peter was broken because he denied Jesus three times. And it's so good for us to look at that passage of Scripture. And I'll tell you why. I'm thankful that John did not end in chapter 20. But he gave us chapter 21. Because chapter 21 makes all the difference in the world. It, it, it's it's a, an example. It's a model. It's a breath of fresh air when we see someone who's failed and Jesus comes along and picks them up. We know that Peter failed in every way possible. We know that he failed Jesus again because he denied him. There has uh, been times in my life and probably yours where we can identify with spiritual failure. I mean, I think about raising kids and the time I failed them and have gone back and asked them to forgive me for the, the, the failure that I brought to them as a father. I've asked Annette for forgiveness for the failure that I've brought to her as a husband that we go through those times, and, and oftentimes we still remember. I know for me that I still come across those moments where, where I failed, and those are the moments that I really call on the rest restorative power of Jesus and just be able to call out on Him and be able to ask Him for the help that I need because when we fail, that is really the first response, and we'll see it here today, is that we cry out for help. We say, Lord, I, I just need to continue to call on you. I need to ask you to help me because there are comebacks. You know, there are those second chances, and that's what we serve. We serve a God who brings us and gives to us second chances. We see in Peter's life, though, his failure is a turnaround to victory, that actually the failure of denying Jesus three times was the beginning of his real spiritual growth. And because he failed, it set him up for success. He became victorious in, in the body of Christ. Because when we, when we find him a few days later, what's he doing? He's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And we see, we witness in those very pages of God's word in the book of Acts, we see thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Just days before he was a broken man. And now he's in this place, he's speaking he's preaching the gospel of jesus he did that he preached the gospel he was the central figure of leading the church in the early days he was the one who brought the gospel of jesus christ to the gentiles he stepped over those racial barriers and he brings the good news of jesus christ and people are saved and it's like wildfire i mean it breaks out and salvation starts and family members tell family members and friends tell friends and the gospel of Jesus Christ invades people's homes. And we pray for that today. I pray that for your family. I pray that to happen in your home, in your life, in the place of businesses and schools that you're part of, that you attend. I mean, it, it's amazing to me what happens here. It's amazing to me how God chooses to use the one experience in which we cannot glory. That's our failure. And he uses it for his glory. You see, that's the blessing of failure. I don't know if you've ever looked at failure that way, 
but how many want to raise their hand right away and say, yeah, I failed. Let me tell you about that. No, we want to talk about our successes. That, that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to brag about. But I'll tell you something. God uses your failure probably more than he's going to use your success. Why? Because you can't say that you glory in that. <laughs> that's something you probably want to shy away from. But Jesus takes our failures and he glorifies God in our failures. That is a beautiful thing. Now, many of you have heard the, I think you've heard the phrase, failure is not an option, but it really is. It is not only an option, it is certain that we'll all face failure in our lives. Failure is a certainty, and it can be one of the surest stepping stones to victory and success in your life. And I hope you see that today. I hope you feel that through this passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can open your Bibles with me to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, there are blue Bibles around the building. The Scripture will be on the overhead as well. But we're going to look at a few verses in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. We're going to step into this, and I, I think this is so, so critical for us because we see Jesus restore Peter back to himself and back to useful service in God's kingdom. Now, there's something I always enjoy. I love reading the Gospel of John. And uh, we've been in the Gospel of John now, I think, for eight or ten months. And we're finally here. We're going to be wrapping it up next week. But when you read the way John sees things, the eyes of God's Spirit working through him, there are always these details. There's these individual nuances that you pay attention to that not all the other Gospel writers include in their perspective of Jesus Christ. But, but John does, when you read this passage of Scripture, you're going to see that. It's the story, again, of Peter's restoration, because in John 21, verses 15 through 19, you will notice these little details that John uses to connect us back to the times and places that Peter denied Jesus. So we're going to read a passage of Scripture, and as we do, and you hear this conversation, you witness this conversation that Jesus has with Peter you have to put it in context and connect it to the times that Peter denied Jesus. If you don't do that, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you because the language is different. The conversation is different. But you have to know when Jesus is talking to Peter, he's making very sure that he's referring Peter back to the time that he broke his promise. And it's that place where he broke his promise that he's going to restore him. It's the place that God does the same in you. He brings you back to those places of brokenness. He'll always take you there. You don't get a pass from that. He'll take you back to that. He wants you to look at the reality of your brokenness, and he wants to lead you from that brokenness into wholeness. That's the way that he always works in our lives. So one of the details I always am so amazed by is we see in John when he's writing this passage of, of Scripture, this chapter, Peter denied Jesus over a fire. So what does Jesus do? Jesus restores Peter over a fire. You cannot lose the symbolism there. They're very much connected to one another. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly where to go to get Peter's attention. And we, like some other disciples, we get to eavesdrop in on this conversation. That, that we have this privilege where the, the veil is kind of pulled back a bit and we get to listen to what happened and what do we do next now there are three elements that we read about in the conversation Jesus has with Peter I'm going to take one of them today 
and spend our whole time together on just one. Next week, we'll do the other two, but this one deserves our full attention, deserves our undivided attention. Because honestly, if we get this one right, all the other things fall in place. They really do. All the others fall in place, no matter how difficult life might be. No, no matter how deep failure might be, if we get this one, we're going to make it. We are absolutely going to make it. And I love what Jesus does here. He takes this failure and he brings in these elements of success and he lifts Peter up just like he can lift us up to encourage us, to let us know it's not over, to let us know we don't have to throw in the towel, but there's still a ways to go. And when you read this, I think you'll see what I mean. It says this, beginning at verse 15, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, your translation may say son of Jonah. They're both right. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed, feed my sheep. The first, the most important thing that I gather from this passage of scripture and the, the thing that I want us to rest on, to, to really absorb absorb in our own hearts today is to love Jesus deeply. This is the message that's coming across. This is what, what Peter's being faced with. He's being confronted with his love for Jesus Christ as we are confronted with our love for Jesus Christ. I enjoy this passage because I, I can see myself here that Jesus presses Peter about Peter's love for him. And this is not only a principle that we need to understand and embrace. This is a priority for our life. This is, the, this is number one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. You see, Jesus is bringing him back to this place. And here's a question. Why did Jesus have this personal conversation with others listening? Because this sounds like a conversation you probably should have privately. This would be a conversation that you would most likely have with the individual, that it would be more of a one-on-one -on -one dialogue or conversation. Well, there are probably a few good reasons, and I want you to know what I think those few good reasons are probably or might be according to Scripture. At least when we connect the dots, we see what's going on here. What was going down here is this. Number one, Jesus and Peter had already met. The Bible tells us that they had already had some one-on-one -on -one time. Now, because it was private, we don't know what was said. But if you look at Luke chapter 24, you're going to see a place where it's the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes alongside of them. Their eyes are open. They see Jesus. What do they do? They go running back and they say, hey, guys, Jesus went to Peter first. And then he came to the disciples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us the same refrain. He says, and when Jesus rose from the dead, he went to Peter first. And then he went to the other disciples. I would imagine that conversation had a lot to do with clearing up the failure. I would imagine that conversation was deeply intimate, where Jesus showed up and his tenacity to show up to that person that was broken. 
I love this about the story that what did he what did he do first? He said, I got to get to Peter. I got to get to Peter. <laughs> he denied me. He's broken. I don't want him to live this way anymore. I want him to know that he can be restored by me. He can be brought back into useful service for the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus do? He goes to Peter first. Jesus always goes to the broken. He always goes to the place where there's heartache and there's pain. He is never afraid of your pain. He's never afraid of your heartache. That's the place that he wants to be. That's where he, he shows up. So we can be confident that things got cleared up between Peter and Jesus before this fish barbecue took place, before they actually came together. But there's another reason. Another reason is how did Peter deny Jesus? Well, he denied him publicly. People heard Peter denied Jesus. People heard him even say, I don't know him. I don't even know who you're talking about. So there's a public denial that by now the disciples were aware, well aware of. They knew that Jesus was denied by Peter. And so what happens here is Jesus brings them into this close company of brothers, of, of, of fellowship, of sisters, of fellowship, disciples who had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He, he brings this conversation to this place. And he does it because Peter spoke his words publicly and now there needs to be a confession and a restoration publicly. And so he wants to make things right. He's not only wanting, Jesus is not only wanting to make things right with him, but he's wanting to make things right with the group that Peter is going to be part of and lead as part of the early church. Jesus doesn't want any breaches. He doesn't want any strongholds the enemy might be able to get a hold of. So what does he do? He closes those gaps by bringing Peter right to this place. And what does he do? He allows Peter to bring confession publicly, to be restored publicly. I was reading this the other day, and I thought, what a great lesson this is for us. I mean, really, this is an incredible lesson. I, I'm going to say especially for those that are raising kids that when you see one of your children fail, that what you would do first of all and foremost is you would pull them aside privately and that you would talk to them. Because I'll tell you this, Jesus doesn't develop a culture of shame. The church body is not a culture of shame. This place is not a culture of shame. This is a place where there's encouragement to follow Jesus Christ given any kind of failure that has taken place. So Jesus brings him here and he says, Peter, you're going to be the leader and you got to make it right with your brothers. And some of them are probably wondering who you really are. They're probably wondering, can you really lead? Can you really? We, we didn't deny him. You denied him. So so Jesus brings him to this place and makes it right. He does it first privately and then he does it publicly. Public denial requires public confession and public restoration. You see that here. And listen, I'm going to say this to parents, and I, I think you know this. Some of my mistakes as uh, parenting kids is that I corrected them in the wrong way, that there was an opportunity for me to pull them aside, look them in the eyes, and say, okay, th this is not acceptable. This is not acceptable behavior. Uh, never would I want to and mean to embarrass them, but there were times that that happened. And those are the places that I go and say, hey, I, you guys, would you forgive me? I mean, I, I, need you, I, I need you to forgive me. 
had a conversation with my son when he was about 13 years old. He and I were just button heads. We weren't getting anywhere. I mean, his testosterone levels were off the charts, and he was doing every kind of crazy thing you could do. I mean, just wasn't behaving, and I felt like it kept running into a, a brick wall. I just did. I kept thinking, I'm not, I'm not getting through to him. And one day I broke, and one day he broke, and we broke together. And I went to him, and I said, son, I need to ask you to forgive me. But I also need you to do me a favor. I've never raised a 13-year-old boy. This is my first run at it, man. I'm a rookie. So would you help me raise a 13-year-old boy? And he just started crying. And I said, help me as a father help a 13-year-old boy get through this. Let's make sure we talk. Let's make sure we get through this. And I saw this private healing. And I don't think there's ever been a day that we were as close as that day and then moved on. We've maintained a close relationship. But I think that was that point where we came together and there was that restoration. What we have to be able to communicate as followers of Jesus Christ is our lives are safe. <laughs> that, that, that people can come to places and, and they can come into our lives and we're safe. We're safe people. There's a, there's a sense of security that they know that when something's exchanged, words are exchanged, that it's not going to be spoken out of school somewhere else. But they can come and they can repent and they can be restored. Why? Because it's safe for them to do so. Now, I want you to notice something in verses 15 through 17. There are three questions, really the same question asked three times. But when you look at those three questions, you're going to see three parts and I think it's important to see here because what you're going to see here is a question that Jesus asks, a reaction that Peter gives, and then back to Jesus, a commission. He commissions Peter to feed the sheep and the lamb. So you have Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, you know that. Then feed my lambs. Why is that so important? Because in this dialogue, you see this go back and forth, back and forth, the same way Jesus works with us. How many know Jesus is a great question asker? Probably the, You go through the Gospels, I've said this before, there are a hundred different questions he asks. Why? Because he's a good listener. That's why. And he wants us to be able to confess. So he asks questions. Notice Jesus calls him Simon, son of John or Jonah. What's up with that? Why all of a sudden is this name coming out? Because all the time in ministry, early on in the ministry that that, that Peter was engaged with Jesus, it, it was, you're Cephas, you're, you're the rock, you're Peter, that's your name. Jesus changed his name. He doesn't say Peter here, but he says Simon. You know, that's an old name before he met Jesus. So Jesus changed his name to Peter. You, you're a little rock, you're a little stone. Well, here's what's happening. Peter spent his whole life trying to prove to others that he was a mountain of a man. I mean, whenever you read about Peter, he's wanting to elevate himself above the other disciples. You'll see that happen. He, he's wanting to make sure that everybody knows he's in charge. He's large and in charge. He wants everyone to know that he's the boss. He does that. That, that, that what happens here is Jesus bringing him back to reality. And that was part of his problem that he thought he was bigger than he really was. He's a legend in his own mind. And so Jesus reminds Peter who he really was so he calls him Simon, son of Jonah. You know what he's saying to him? Peter, I made you. Peter, I know you. 
Peter, tell me the truth. You need to confess. I mean, the maker of the universe, the one who gave us the Imago Dei, the image of God, is standing in front of him, and Jesus is looking at him, and he's saying, Simon, son of John, that was your name when you were little. I knew you when you were little. I knew you while you were still in your mother's womb. How do you feel when someone calls you by your real name? I know it sends shockwaves through me. Ronald Edward, I know right then that that person knows me and they have authority in my life. Here, the same thing is happening. Jesus is saying, okay, let's get on with this, but we're going we're gonna to exchange truths here. That's what happens. Peter needed to learn something that he hadn't learned until he failed. What did he learn at this moment? The same thing all of us learn when we fail. If we're leaning forward, if we're following Jesus, we realize without Jesus, we can do nothing. That's the lesson that Peter is learning right here. He's learning that he can't do anything without the strength of Jesus Christ in his life. He's learning that he has to lean on Jesus. He's learning that he needs to go to Jesus. In verse 15, you see that question, do you love me more than these? There's a lot of speculation, theological speculation as to what Jesus was talking about there. But I, I, think, I, I think I've landed on something that's very true. Some people say, well, is it your occupation? Peter, do you love these fishing things and these boats and everything that comes with it more than me? No, that's, you know what he's saying? What he's saying here is he's saying, do you love me more than these others love me. Now, the reason he's saying that, you got to go back to remember when Peter said, oh, all these guys will deny you. They'll all leave you, but I won't do that. I will stay with you to the end. So what's Jesus doing? He's bringing him back to that place where he bragged, where he said he would be on top of the world, that everyone would abandon Jesus except for him. And so he's looking at them going, He's looking at them and he go, he's saying to, do you love me more than these really? Really, do you? This is a reality check for Peter. This would be a reality check for all of us if we heard Jesus say that. It was Peter who said, all of these guys will leave you, but I'll never leave you. I'll never do that. Remember that Peter is bragging here. Jesus was making it right. He was closing the gaps in relationship so Peter had to confess that with the other listening to it. Because, again, they're probably all going, oh, yeah, he's, he thinks he's hot stuff. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And so I'm sure Jesus is saying, do you think you really love me more than these? And then we get this reality. Peter's getting clear now. His heart is clearing up. His mind is clearing up. Three times Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Why? Again, Peter denied him three times. Jesus comes back and asks that question three times. Can I say this? Jesus will leave no stone unturned in your life. He will always come back to those places. As painful, as difficult as that is, he wants a thorough restoration of your life. Not half-baked, not asking the hard questions, He's going to always ask you the hard questions. Where are you? Do you love me? He's going to ask those questions. He's not going to leave those stones unturned. Because I, I know this. If we don't lean in fully to restoration in our own lives, 
there are places that the enemy can come along and say, did you really close that gap? Did, did, did Jesus really do that? Did, did he really heal you? Did he really restore you? That's just the way the enemy works. So what is Jesus doing? Every time he denied him, he comes back and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And at those points, those places in that conversation, Jesus is getting Peter to confess. Now think about this. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter denied knowing the Lord, but Jesus cuts right to the heart. This is what happens here. Jesus did not say, Peter, do you know me? Not, do you have the correct theology or the correct doctrine? Not, will you work hard for me? He's not asking any of those questions. He never goes there. He never, like some of us might. I might ask those questions, but Jesus doesn't ask that question because that's not the issue. The issue is, do you love me? You see, the Lord wants your heart above all else. He wants your heart above everything else. Nothing else will matter unless your heart is given over to Jesus. Once he has your heart, he will have your mind. Once he has your heart, he will have your hands and your feet to do his work. But he wants your heart. Proverbs 4, 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Now listen again, not only the question, but to Peter's reaction. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter reacts. He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Now there's something interesting that happens here. And I want you to think about this with me just for a moment. There's interesting wordplay that you don't pick up in our translation, but it's in the original language. Let me tell you what it is. The Greek language has several ways to communicate the word love. One word, love, communicated three basic ways. Agapeo, I, that's, that's the love that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a deep, profound, 100% super-duper love that you'll lay your life down for Jesus. That's the kind of love, agapeo. And then he's talking phileo means I'm fond of you. I like you. We can be buddies, brothers, we're friends. And then there's eros, and that's the physical love. So in this case, what's happening here is there's an exchange that's taking place. Jesus uses agapeo, but he only uses it twice. He says, agapeo, Peter's response is, yes, Lord, I phileo, I'm fond of you. Lord, I, I, I'm fond of you. Now, some of us, well, he's really copping out. No, he's finally getting honest. He's not copping out because he was trying to use agapeo back before he denied the Lord. Now he's going, I can't say that. I've been called. I've been called out. My bluff has been called. And so he responds and he says, Lord, I am fond of you. Lord, I, I really am. I'm, I'm fond of you. You know what's missing now? Exaggeration. Braggadocio kind of statements. They're, they're gone now. They've all left. Do you know that's connected to our pride? And when our pride leaves, there are good things that happen. Because right now you're hearing the voice of someone who's humble. You're hearing the voice of someone who's broken. But here's what happens on the third time. Jesus asks the question, and he doesn't use the word agapeo. Rather, he uses the word phileo. Peter, are you fond of me? Do you like me? 
Jesus asked Peter, are you fond of me? Do you like me? Peter's being honest here. He says, Lord, I, I want to. I want to agape. I, I want it. But for right now, all I can give you is I'm fond of you. I want it to change. I want it to be different. Sound familiar? Wow. Then Peter appeals to Jesus' knowledge. <laughs> Lord, you know. I mean, I'm saying these things. We're having this exchange. Lord, you know. You know I can't pull the wool over your eyes anymore. You know I can't bluff my way through. You know I like you. You know I'm fond of you. This is a good change right here. Peter's, Peter's coming to that place. He's finally seeing his own heart clearly because before Peter was telling the Lord, you don't really know me. You've underestimated me. You, you don't think I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to follow you to the end. <laughs> Jesus says, you won't. You're going to deny me. He's finally coming to see his own heart clear. Friends, that is the nature of the Holy Spirit, that we can take an observation of our own heart and get a reality check only through his word and through the inspiration of his Holy Spirit. That's the only way you're going to have a good read on this. It won't be what you think. It's not about what others think. It's about what the Holy Spirit thinks. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we get a read, a true read on our hearts. We do not know our hearts like the Holy Spirit knows our hearts. What would your answer be? I thought about that. What would my answer be? If the Lord looked at me and says, do you love me? And that my answer would have to be in light of Jesus knows all things. Put that one there. Say, Lord, you know all things. And I'll say this to you. If that question is ever asked to you by the Holy Spirit, just be honest. Just be honest. Because Jesus can use honesty. He can use brokenness. He can make you whole. But it's to come to him and say, here's where I really am, Lord. Unfortunately, the churches and our church communities aren't the greatest at this. I, just a confession. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah, right. You really are? I'm thankful that in this community I'm seeing that grow in you. I'm thankful that we get to be in places like this in our small groups, in our recovery meetings where this is a premium. That when you walk into a room where there are other brothers and sisters or people who, who care for you and love you and you say, you know, honestly, life stinks right now. Life's caving in on me right now. And that we would say that, that we would say that as people who are firmly planted in following Jesus and it isn't a contradiction. It is not a contradiction when you follow Jesus with all you can in your heart and you say, I am really beat up right now. Listen, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners and the broken and those who know God is not done with them yet. That's why you're here. That's the reason we're together. We are on mission together. God has called us for that. These are people, and there are people right now in this room, and there are people outside of these rooms that we're related to that are saying, you know, I am pretty beat up. I'm pretty tired. These past few years, they've totally been hard on me. They've kicked me around. They've kicked me around. I'm beat up. I thought I knew all the answers. I thought I, I was right. I thought I knew more than Jesus. 
I thought I knew more than the Bible. But now we're standing with our hands empty if that was what we thought about ourselves, that we thought we had all the answers. Friends, we were far from having all the answers. And there's only one thing we need to know, and that's Jesus Christ and that he loves us. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's not about all these other things. It's about this right here. You know, so amazing to me when you look at what's happening here. I see Peter saying this. That's honesty. And Peter learned that. And Jesus commissioned him all three times. Even when he said, Lord, I just, I'm fond of you. Go feed my sheep. He commissioned him. Every time he said that, he said, then go. You're still on my team. Listen, you're not going to get kicked off the team if you say you're hurting. You're not going to get kicked off the team if you say, man, I can only come up with maybe my love meters at 65 right now. Listen, this is what Jesus didn't say to Peter. Well, (laughs) if it's not 100%, then you're done with, buddy. Out. He didn't say that. He commissioned him each time, knowing that his heart hadn't worked there yet. He hadn't gotten to the place of agapeo. He, he was at the place of fondness. But he wanted to get there, and that's honesty. Peter's honest. He said, sure, I like you, Lord. You know that I like you. Listen, the words that Jesus spoke at this point when he commissioned him had to be such encouragement because Peter already disqualified himself. You, can, you know, in his mind, his heart, he was already checked out. And Jesus comes along, asks him this question, and he gets back into the game. Why? Because Jesus looked at him, and he trusted him with the commission of feeding his sheep and his lambs. God needs people like you. He needs a church that will sign up and say, here it is. And there's something that is birthed in our hearts that is a deep, deep love. Because Jesus keeps inviting you to the table. He keeps inviting you to the table. And we see that that's exactly where Peter ended up, his life. He ended up as a man who agapeo. We'll talk about that next week. He came to that place where he said, I followed him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Don't be discouraged today. He loves you fully and totally, and he knows you're working on it. Pay attention to his voice. Lean into him. And there's a blessing. Would you bow your head with me? I just want to do this simply, just a simple appeal to those who may felt like Peter before he was restored. The appeal to you today is don't run and hide anymore. If you've fallen away, if you've distanced yourself from the Lord, He's looking at you right now. He's paying attention to you right now. And he's inviting you back into the fullness of relationship with him. I know that. I know that to be true because he's done that with me. And I know he can do that with you. Maybe you, for whatever reasons, have gone a different direction than the direction that Jesus wanted you to go. Right now, just with him, just repent of that. Just confess. Lord, I... (laughs) I'm fond of you. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get to Agapeo. I, I'm not there yet. I, I've done some things that I need you to forgive me. And others need to forgive me. Listen, 
go about making amends with Jesus and making amends with those in your family. Whatever that is, he wants restoration in your life. He will leave no stone unturned in our lives. Immediately following this time together, we'll have prayer teams that will be available to pray for you. We also have our prayer walls on each side of the building that you have people you're praying for. Write your prayer requests down. Stick them in the, the, the prayer walls. And, and let's, let's be faithful to pray and ask Jesus for help. Father, we just thank you for your full redemptive power at work in our lives. Lord, for all of us that are here today, uh, we love you. And thank you for the process of restoration. Thank you for bringing us to the places of wholeness. Lord, I just ask that you continue to encourage our hearts and that we know that when when we follow you, when we lean into you, you're not disqualifying us or kicking us out because we haven't gotten to a certain place. You're inviting us in and your love compels us to continue to love you. So we thank you for the love that you've given us. Lord, thank you for these moments that we share the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.